The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to the Ascent of Board Games, and Happy New Year. It is time for us to look forward to the year 2024. You've heard us talking about the things that we enjoyed most from last year, and now we have got a lot of new stuff on the horizon that we would like to talk about. Among the new things on the horizon is a new member of the crew. Friend of the show, Curtis, will henceforth be referred to as part of the show, Curtis. And you have to say that every, every time you say his name. Oh, so, no. <laughs> family reunions are gonna be awkward. I got a yeah, title, no, awesome. <laughs> exactly. Put it on your business card. So, Curtis, welcome to the Santa Board Games. Tell us I'm, a little I'm bit. Sorry, about I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Who? <laughs> Do you mean part of the show, Curtis? I'm hoist by my own oh. petard. <laughs> All right, I'm rescinding that rule. It's fine. <laughs> Curtis, tell us a little about yourself. Yes, uh, I'm Curtis. I said I was going to do this, but I am uh, Fear Tree's brother, if you know who that is. <laughs> they torture me with that constantly. I've been playing board games with this group for a few years now, and I've been enjoying it. They're probably much more experts at this than I am, and you know, I tend to just dabble a bit more. And I'm very, very chaotic when I play things, as Jason will tell you, so I like to just get in and have fun and learn how things will work out. But I'll have a good time being here, and thanks for Excellent. having me. Excellent. Yeah, no, absolutely. Always good to get new voices in here. I think the important thing to know about Curtis is he, he functionally owns every game on Steam as far as so I can tell. So why would you tell <laughs> yep, them that? Yep. I was about to yep. say that same thing, Joe. You beat me to it. <laughs> and good news, he's willing to play any of them. Just ask. Ooh, nice. Okay. With his infinite free time. Mm. And his infinite free time. Don't suppose great. you have a quest and know about Dungeons of Eternity. Does he? Don't, uh, why would you ask such questions? Of course I know about <laughs> I think we've been told if it's a question about something on Steam, the answer is yes. We just know that now. <laughs> All right. So we got a lot of games to talk about. We're each going to run through our top five things we're looking forward to that are either coming out in 2024 or maybe have just arrived and haven't gotten to the table yet. So, uh, Frank, why don't you lead us off with your number five? My number five is... Elder Scrolls Betrayal of the Second Era. Frank, we're not doing computer games again. <laughs> no, no, this is not a computer game. Although, well, yeah, okay, we'll talk later. <laughs> it's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is basically Too Many Bones version 2. What? Ooh, Ooh. Go on. You don't know about this game? No. Wow. This is by Chip Theory Games. It is really designed by the Too Many Bones team. It uses a hex grid for its map, which is modular this time. As well, it includes a three-session campaign, always. So that's how you play it. It randomly generates a three-session campaign. So you get to level up your characters over the course of those three campaigns instead of a single long campaign or anything. Otherwise, it's very Too Many Bones. It's a procedurally generated board game? Well, yes. Yeah. What? It, it, yeah, yeah you know, you know, I got it. Forget yeah. procedurally generated. It's mm. random. <laughs> okay, so I need a ruling, Brian, as the judge of this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> judge? If someone gets this game, does Frank get a point? Or because this game hasn't come out yet, does Frank not get a point? I like think it. if anyone has yeah, heard Frank of it. brought us to our attention, I think Frank would get a point. Okay, I'm just, I'm just wondering. I'm just okay. wondering. Is your finger hovering over the buy button or something? No, some like you're gonna buy it or Jason's gonna buy it. We I'm don't all need it. this game. But but also but also yeah, it is. Jason's <laughs> already purchased it. I don't understand. So I actually I went and looked at this. So I did actually find out about this back when they first announced it, and I completely ignored it because I wasn't very familiar with the video game. <laughs> wow. The other video game that is coming out this year before 2024 hits or sorry, we're recording this in 2023, is Divinity Original Sin 2, the board game. And I did take that one off this list because it's showing up in 2023. But otherwise, it'd be my top game because that looks amazing. I will tell you that a couple of the games on my list are listed as 2023 releases. I just am not going to get to play. Oh, this is actually listed as a 2023 release too. I'm sure okay. you're sure. 
Most yeah. amazing. Well, Jason, you, you can be excited by that game board game because I have also ordered that board game. <laughs> <laughs> Baldur's Gate advertising in menu advertising worked on me. Oh, there we go. Where they were like, "Hey, this board game's coming out." It's like after the hundredth time of playing it, I was like, "Okay, fine, I'll just buy the board game so I can stop thinking about it." Jeez. <laughs> All right, so the elders. This is betrayal of the second era. Absolutely, I, I saw the why. poker chip, so I assumed it had to be this one. Very yeah, totally. interesting. All right, Jason, what's on your list? Okay, I didn't actually put this in any particular order, so I'm just going to grab one at random here. Okay. So this is a game I kickstarted probably last year. I don't know. I don't even try and keep track anymore. But Homeworld Fleet Command by Modifius Entertainment, uh, designed by Chris Birch and Nick Fallon. As anyone who's listened to this podcast, I'm a giant sucker for capital ship battle games. I can't help myself. I have everything in Star Wars Armada. I have Red Alert. I have a couple other ones that I can't remember right now. One day I'll find someone to play them with me. But this one's based I on... I played the- Armada with you. You did, once. and then Joe destroyed you so badly you wouldn't play anymore. <laughs> that seems to be the problem, Jason. You can't it was great. It was great. <laughs> I've said this before on this no, podcast. no. I would argue Joe went online and found <laughs> no, what's a bullshit no, list I could no, make. And no, then Jason that specifically list. gave no, no, no. him a bullshit list. No, yeah, no, Jason, Joe. I said to Jason, give me a bullshit list. Yeah, and Joe then <laughs> Jason decided to give me a bullshit list. Jason, it seems to me as if you just really didn't want to play that game with your friends. Oh, is that it? <laughs> because Brian and I made lists of our own that were not bullshit and got destroyed. I think it's more Joe would not build his own list, so I had to make one for him. And I oh, so it's him- Joe's fault. Okay. No, sure. no, it's still my fault. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I should have known better. <laughs> it's a combination of many people's faults. <laughs> and by many people, I mean Jason and I. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, the actual game I'm talking about, it's based off the video game, which I'll be honest, I didn't really play the video game. But it's Capital Fleet Battles. It's Hex Grid. Facing matters, you have like different ships that can do different types of attacks and different types of things will hit them. You basically play out at the beginning of the round. You vie for initiative. I think it's just a single die roll and you can modify it by discarding command cards. And then whoever goes first puts out a command card and activates a certain number of ships. And back and forth, accomplishing either destroying each other or going through some sort of scenario. It has solo play, it has co-op play, it has a campaign. Kind of one of the interesting parts about it is there is a whole aspect to it where you're harvesting resources to produce more ships. So that's kind of new in terms of the capital ship games I already have. But yeah, it should be actually it's in fulfillment right now. Apparently they screwed up the shipping and like things were getting damaged. So they had to call a halt to everything and repackage it. And who knows when it's going to show up now. But I have some some hope it's real and will exist. <laughs> And this is from Modifius. Interesting. It is, yeah. yeah I yeah. think of them mostly as RPG people, but they do have a lot of board game stuff. So Yeah, yeah. I haven't bought any of their other board games before, so uh, this is kind of a risk, but I don't know. It seemed fun, and like it wasn't too hellishly expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I like Modifius as a company in general, so that's mm-hmm. always a plus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think Chris yeah. Birch has been involved in a lot of the RPGs, I think, because I recognize the name. I think he worked on the Conan RPG that I really mm-hmm. like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like their 2D20 rule system. I think it's really clever. Oh, yeah. It works very well. And they, they, they're kind of masters of thematic integration, I think, because like, the Star Trek game we're playing right now is awesome. Very cool. Joe, what do you got on your list? Again, also in no particular order, though maybe a little weighted towards mm-hmm. order. The first one I have is Sentinels of the Multiverse Dispersion, designed by Christopher Bedell and Adam Reptaro, Greater Than Games LLC. So they've been re-releasing the like the definitive edition of all of the Sentinels games, and the redesigns are all really clever. They do a really good job. I'm excited for, in essence, more of the game that I already own in the definitive edition kind of print run. They cleaned up a lot of the rules, rebalanced a lot of stuff, made everything just flow a lot more smoothly, sped the game up a little bit. All good things. So this isn't especially new content, it's just like the polished version of some of what has come before? Well, I mean, it's new content insofar as, like, They've kind of redesigned, now that they understand how to design games, which they kind of didn't when Mm -hmm. they started, they've redesigned functionally all the characters so that they all feel equal levels of fun, right? Like, in the original game, characters had a large variety of funness to them. Yeah, I know, yeah. (laughs) And the Definitive Edition does a great job of making everybody feel effective and really fun to play individually, which flows really well. Yeah, playing that recently, was it was like, okay, I want to pick this character. It's like, what do you do? I make a construct. It's completely useless. All right, that was my turn. (laughs) (laughs) 
I will say, I want to add something that might be a little controversial among this group. I don't like the new art style in the second edition as much as the first print. The first print had very cartoony style that was very unique to Christopher Rabataru, who I, I'm pretty sure did all the artwork for the game. No, I think it's the other. I oh, thought maybe it was Adam. It was Adam. Yeah, Adam. Adam did all the art. I Adam did all the art, right. And the new one, while it does a much better job of reflecting the different eras of comic books, it feels a lot less uniquely his, in my opinion. Like, I like that you can see the old, like, dotted comic book strip, old style of comics versus some of the new cards, but I don't know. It just, that artwork in the original just, like, is embedded in my mind as the artwork for Sentinels. And this feels the same but different. I don't know. I don't I like the new much. artwork. I like the new artwork. I think it's clever. It's like a joke. The artwork is like postmodern jukebox. Like, it is an art joke. All of them are art jokes, functionally. <laughs> Much in the same way that postmodern jukebox is musical jokes, which I appreciate, but Mike is not wrong in that it is less. Since he's aping specifically people's styles very accurately, it feels maybe a little bit less his, but I, it's a very impressive feat. Okay. So, Joe, with this new set, like, what are some of the popular characters you might be seeing in this one? I think uh, Mega Man. Mega Man. Mega Man. Oh, yeah, it's um, proto. Uh, what's the same uh, prototype X or something. No, it's uh, Omnitron. Omnitron. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mega Man. Yeah, Mega Man is. Joe, that's copyright infringement. It's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. I'll I'll be fine. Nintendo isn't. (laughs) Mike, how about you? I'm really excited about Heat Heavy Rain. Ah, yes. Now this this has been leaked, but we've now seen that the expansion to Heat Pedal to the Metal is going to be called Heavy Rain, or maybe Torrential Rain, as I think the direct translation from French is. Everything that they've shown is really exciting. They're going to have two new maps, Japan and Mexico. And on those maps, you'll have new areas of the track that are covered in standing water, where it will be harder to gear shift if you are in those spaces. And some new iconography on some of the new cards, including a from discard pile to engine cooling mechanic. Hmm. Interesting. And unfortunately, one more racer. Ah, right, exactly. Ah, which ah, does ah, indicate that's amazing. Which does indicate that they have a second expansion in the works, which like great. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, but that's, come on, just just teasing as they go. Amazing that there's only <laughs> one new racer in it. That's yeah. so good. And this is Heat Pedal to the Metal from Asgar Herding Garund. I apologize <laughs> profusely. Yep. And Daniel Sajol Pedersen. And We're very this sorry. is, of course, Days of Wonder. <laughs> Yeah, that does look like an interesting add-on. And apparently the standing water only applies if there's a weather card in play that affects it, so... Yeah, it's like you only look at it if it's raining. Interesting, yeah. Well, I'm immediately hyped because we've been playing a ton of Heat recently because we got a copy about a month and a half ago, and it is a great game. It's real good. Agreed, yeah. Mine number five, and mine are roughly in order of anticipation, but we'll see how it goes. Number five on my list is... (gasps) Clank Legacy 2 Acquisitions Incorporated Darkest Magic. <laughs> Nailed it. I mean, I'm reading it right off the page. I should get it right. We really enjoyed the original Clank Legacy, and this looks like more of that with additional stuff. So it looks like the characters that you're playing have like some interesting additional stories. There are scratch-off cards, which I was not a big fan of in Pandemic Legacy, but it is another way to do changes in Legacy-type stuff. It's a fun base game in a fun world. The writing is has historically been very good, and it's a new story. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that. Yeah, this one almost made my list as well. I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. And did you back it? I did back it. I was the one who backed it. Cool, because I didn't. So yeah, I, I was, was really one, hoping I was someone the one would because it. I yes. want to play it. I was the one who backed it. We always appreciate when you that. jump on a grenade, Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I didn't say it at first, because I'm bad at being a podcaster, this is by Paul Denon and J.E. Treat III from Direwolf. It's a long name, but should be fun. Curtis, what you got for us? I'm going to keep it uh, real simple, much more simple than you. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Stone Saga, I'm looking forward to that. The designer is Max Brook and Luke Eddy. 
So I decided to pick some easy designers. <laughs> I'm sorry, what saga? <laughs> it's a Stone Saga. Stone Saga. Okay, got it. And uh, the publisher, is it Oom or is it O-O-M-L? <laughs> Open Owl Studios or Open Owl. We should decide because I'm going to need to say their name later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Oom. Yeah. Yes. Oom. Oh, they're the guys who did Stars of Icarus, aren't they? Correct, yeah. yeah. And I do have that one on order as well. That looks really interesting. It's a Paleolithic kind of crafting survival adventure game. Mm -hmm. Co-op. That's a lot of words. I wanted to try this type of game. I played some on PC with this group, and I wanted to give this a try board game version. I also like the mechanic where it's in multiple generations of characters. So I wanted to see how that works. Especially because I kind of like the character building of my example would be Kingdom Death Monster, just having like, mm -hmm. you know, you can make spawn with the characters you have there. So I think I would enjoy that. But that's one of the ones I'm looking forward to. Interesting. And it looks like the hexes kind of, there's like a stacking mechanism or something on them, or maybe there's just little frames. It's hard it's to kind of from frames the to help hold them together. Interesting. They do also show a stacking. Oh, so wow. That's okay. madness. Interesting. Yeah, that does look interesting. I was thinking because, you know, obviously there are a ton of survival crafting PC games out there. I think, I mean, Robinson Crusoe is sort of like that, but this looks like it's a lot closer to that idiom. I really like the idea of passing generational knowledge from playthrough to playthrough. Like, that always hits me in a sweet spot. <laughs> right in the target demographic. Oh, my target demographic. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that one. Or perhaps play it when it shows up. I think that brings us back to Frank. So, yeah, if you know me at all, would you be surprised if my number four is a fantasy game? campaign co-op game? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so, yes, Malga, Lands of Legends. I don't need you to spell that, Frank. M-A-L-H-Y-A. Oh, of course, just like it sounds. Designed by Francois Denis, Nicolas Fuchs, Ludovic Rivoyel, and Cyril Turpent. It's published by Le Boite des Jeux that did the pretty amazing Outlive, which I mentioned back in our mm -hmm. worker placement as, I think, my favorite worker placement game. This is a giant procedurally generated sandbox where you wander the adventure map and then go into dungeons, which then have dungeon tiles and dungeon crawls. So it's kind of a, you know, full, massive world. They use apparently a tailored event system with like a thousand events to tailor to exactly what's going on, what terrain you're in, what kind of area you're in, what the weather's like. So it's kind of almost a simulation kind of thing. And because of Outlive and generally their reputation, I was so curious about it. Okay. I'm looking at the player board here. This is insane, Frank. <laughs> oh, I know. It is. It's, when you look at it, it's bonkers. What the hell? There's a stealth board? Wait, you can do dungeons as stealth? Okay. I... Uh, well, you've got Curtis now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, I was going to say, Susie was like, no, that was, that was one of my... <laughs> I have kickstarted that. Yes, I have. Excellent. Because I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to you playing a character that never takes damage and doesn't contribute to the group. Guys. I don't know what you're talking about. I do a great job, okay? <laughs> He's a professional. It's fine. He'll find all the treasure chests for us. That's his job. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's nothing wrong with that. That's Somebody's got to do it, you know? Somebody's got to jump on that grenade. <laughs> and cry about getting one point of damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm bleeding There's my own blood. Down twice. You're like, oh, my hangnail. <laughs> But yeah, it's totally my idiom. So yes, I'm getting it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that looks awesome. Curtis, I'm down for like this it. whenever you get it. So I guess my number four here is Mythic Battles Ragnarok. Ooh, yay! <laughs> by Benoit Volk and designed by Monolith Board Games. Benoit Blanc? No. <laughs> yep, that's what he said. <laughs> Benoit <laughs> Blanc. B-O-G-T. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Benoit Blanc, yeah. It's not a mystery game. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a continuation of the Mythic Battles system. So these guys designed Mythic Battles Pantheon back in the day, which is one of my favorite skirmish games. The idea is you pick a divinity. So in, in the original game, it was Greek gods. Now it's Norse gods. You get heroes or monsters or like troops. I think it's actually um, in this one, it's like Viking uh, war bands or something like that. And you're fighting over either trying to destroy the opposing player's divinity or you're trying to collect in the original one, it was these things called Amphalos, which is like 
energy of the gods. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like you're collecting runes. Really, the whole idea is they built a system where someone in a skirmish game can't turtle, because if you turtle, <laughs> you will lose the game, which I really appreciate. Sure. Each of the characters have special powers. It's kind of an interesting thing where their dashboards have a sliding bar that as the character or hero or monster takes damage, their stats change, their powers may deactivate. It changes over time. So like you really have to be careful about making sure that you don't get too much damage so that you lose the ability that makes that unit powerful. Or <laughs> in some cases, lose the ability to move out of your space, which is a real problem in that kind of game. Huh. This is supposedly on boats now, going out for fulfillment. People have started getting them in like the EU already. I'm super excited about it, and it can be compatible with Mythic Battles Pantheon. So Yay! Yeah, we can have <laughs> Thor fighting Dionysus, which will be hilarious. <laughs> I can be Medusa on a rock tossed by Thor this time. Okay. You sure can. <laughs> and they've already announced that they're doing Egyptian Gods, so I'm totally screwed. I don't have to buy that one. Uh, very cool. <laughs> Ooh, wow. See, now what I really want to do is I want to do an episode of Benoit Blanc playing this. Now you see if Thor takes his hammer and it strikes the Midgard serpent from this direction. Now I want to see him play Sherlock Holmes consulting detective and prove that that game's possible to win. <laughs> well, we know that he hates Clue. Oh yeah, kicking boxes, running around, searching all the rooms. It's just a terrible, terrible game. All right, Joe, what's next for you? Next on my list is Slay the Spire, designed by Gary Doreski and Anthony Giovetti and Casey Yano, released by Contention Games. So I really like the video game Slay the Spire and everything I've seen about how player interaction is going to work in the multiplayer Slay the Spire looks really fun. And I'm excited to get to the table and have some people experience it with me. I am also looking forward to this game, Joe. Yep, yep. Same here. Is it co-op? Uh-huh. It is. Yeah. Excellent. Four-player co-op. There's four classes. You are all different classes. Mm-hmm. So you'll have different decks and different card upgrades and all that kind of stuff. As might become evident by my list, I really like cooperative asymmetric games. I think they're a lot of fun. And this is a good example of that. Interesting. And this does have the rules that if anyone loses, everyone loses. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you oh, it is a ro- stop it is as a soon as one person is out. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty standard in a lot of these, I think, which is good because yeah. nobody wants to sit there and watch everybody else play. All right. Promising. I'm cautiously optimistic on that one. Mike, we're back to you. Well, Slay the Spire was also on my list. Okay. So, Well, that saves us a lot of time. <laughs> also good. My number four is one that well, I was expecting to get the Kickstarter from in February, but it actually showed up at my house last week. So it was ahead of schedule. I don't know what happened. Oh, well, it no longer counts. <laughs> oh, well, uh, darn it. <laughs> this is a game called The Stifling Dark designed by Jeremy Geenan, Ethan Jansen, and Matt Rayford from Sophisticated Cerberus Games. And this is a one-versus-many hidden movement game, like your Scotland Yard, Fury of Dracula, that kind of thing. What makes it interesting is that the settings are, as the name implies, dark. One is an abandoned sawmill, and there's a map for an amusement park at night, and that kind of thing. So every place is dark. And the characters have flashlights that they can place on their turn that will illuminate certain squares. And then if there's stuff there or if the bad guy is there, they will reveal them at that moment. So you have to travel around in groups and keep the flashlights going. Of course, the flashlights use up batteries as they go. So sometimes you have to stop and charge them. It looks like it has a lot of neat stuff going on. Basically, you're trying to collect evidence about the particular bad guy that you're finding, whether it's the serial killer or the cult or, you know, whatever, whatever weird combination. And it's like when you collect enough evidence, then there are like three different ways to win. Like in the sawmill, there is one set of things you can do to bust the front gate open so we can get out. There's another set for we're going to repair this old truck so we can drive out. Or the third thing is actually defeat the bad guy. So there's two maps in the base game. There's like four different villains you can choose. It looks like it's an interesting spin on the one versus many, so I'm I'm looking forward to getting this one to the table. Yeah. Does the bad guy get more powerful over time if they don't find him or something? I don't think so. Although it's interesting, there's one of the bad guys is the cult, and if they can get near a player, they can like do a point of damage to them, and if they collect enough blood, then they summon their dark master, and that's a lot more powerful. So it looks like they all go a little differently. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of interested to see how it plays. I must say I love hidden movement games because one of the biggest challenges of hidden movement games is how you arrange the board so hidden movement can happen. 
and mm-hmm. the choice they picked is so literal. They just have a number for every square, and the board looks so funny because of it. But, you know, it works out pretty well, because, like, every space with the same letter in front of it is in the same, quote-unquote, zone. So oh, all nice. the spaces that start with G are in the garage. And there are places where you have light switches. Like, if you turn on the light switch, all the rooms in that space are illuminated That's cool. now. That's nice. So it looks like they've done a lot of clever things. Yeah, but, like, it's just, like, looking at the board, it just looks very funny to me, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it looks terrifying. I know it's not, but just, mm-hmm. like, glance at it. It's like, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? <laughs> You're not I do wrong. like the, uh, the little flashlight overlays, the little pieces of colored acrylic that show mm-hmm. you exactly which spots you're illuminating. Didn't they do something similar with that, uh, what was it, that Loch Ness game that Frank had or talked about? Oh, yeah, there's like the cameras. Yeah, Absolutely, Nessie. yeah. And there's another game more recently about taking photographs of animals that uses templates to show where you're taking your photograph of. Oh, that one is Redwood, I want yeah, to say, Redwood or something like yeah. that. Good memory. Okay. I want that game, so. Interesting. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think that takes us back to Curtis. Well, uh, I think Frank mentioned one that I had earlier. It was uh, Malia Lands of Legend. Uh, but okay. I'm going to switch that one out for Earthborn Rangers. Oh, ha! I see how it is. All a right. last minute. Falling <laughs> in Audible. <laughs> that was on my short list. So, yeah, we we have the same thing going. Yeah, yeah. We got a place of time, definitely. <laughs> I've got their information right here. So, Earthborn Rangers. <laughs> Just for reason. For reason. I why. <laughs> Andrew Fisher. Brooks. Lugor Levitt, mm-hmm. Andrew Navarro, Adam Sadler, and uh, Brandy Sadler. Again, apologies. <laughs> and uh, is published by Earthborn Games. Yeah, so my copy of this has already shown up, Curtis. Yay! Um, I've hesitated to bring it to the table. From what I understand, the instruction book is a bit of a bear, and the intro mission is best played by yourself, so you can teach other people how to play the game. Well, I remember we played it, oh God, was it years ago now? A couple of years? Yeah, with Mike, yeah. yeah. On tabletop, and I was like, I'm enjoying this, and then we just never saw it again for years, so I'm looking forward to playing it again. I, I like the mechanics of it in that it seems like you're supposed to deal with problems in a more peaceful way instead of like more direct combat. You're supposed to find other solutions, so I thought that was interesting. Jason, we'll just take the Arkham Horror approach, just bring it over, lock me in a room <laughs> with just me in the game, and, and one will emerge hours later, alive. I'll come out like, it'll be great. Hair straight on end, all white. <laughs> I have achieved apotheosis. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring it over on Wednesday, Mike. <laughs> you can start destroying your brain cells. <laughs> if only, Jason, we had an event where we were all going to be locked in a place together. <laughs> if only. Whatever, Mike still has to work on League of Dungeon Years. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I don't know, Joe. This game is best described as like Arkham Horror LCG, but... Well, great. Jason can introduce me to it and not ruin it for me. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm looking at some pictures of the game in progress. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, I mean, it's a giant sandboxy deck builder, mm-hmm. which is one game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's mostly about exploring. Yeah, so, there's yeah. no really set end, as I understand yeah. it. You just kind of, I think you run out of time or something. You stop <laughs> being friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, that definitely would end our game. <laughs> yeah, man, just, just organizing it to put it into the organizer I printed out for it. I was like, oh boy, this is confusing. So many little cardboard boxes. Yeah, I will say, you know, to their credit, uh, they made an actual, real, determined effort to try and do this as sustainably as possible. So there's no, like, plastic elements in it. The rubber used in the playmats was, like, natural rubber. It's all wood components, stuff like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, that kind of shot them in the foot because it, <laughs> I think it delayed the game by, like, a whole year. I could believe that, but I appreciate the effort. Yeah, yeah, and, and like... They have another, I think there's another campaign that was part of this one that's coming out next year, so there should be more content coming. So if we blew through this one, we'll have more to look forward to. Wasn't that part of the message of the game was like sustainability and things? I think yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. That makes sense that they would do that. I yeah, for that. sure. Yeah, the whole thing is about living in harmony with the environment, as I understand it, so makes sense. All right, very cool. So back to Frank. Yeah, my number three was actually a game which was on this list last year. Hmm. Kickstarter delays, but yeah, we're definitely given the things going on. We're giving Cody Miller a break here. He self-publishes his far-off games and has only done one other game, which is Zaya. Crap, I can't remember what Zaya's subtitle is. Legends of a Drift System. Thank you. But yeah, this is Iridia, the paths we dare tread. 
And okay, Frank. Uh, okay, Frank. He's got the head of Curtis. Because you guys are sharing a brain I at this just, point. I just got here. He's taking all my games. Okay. <laughs> so, Curtis, I'm going to tell you this now. Stop talking to Frank. You're going to buy so many more games. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, co-op fantasy sandbox. This one, given Zaya is so good, the production is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And this looks bonkers. He's been working on it forever. You get 60 pre-painted minis, and the game itself looks really clever in a kind of simple, almost video gamer kind of way. But, you know, 40 to 50 hour fantasy sandbox crawl. Yeah. Well, we don't like those at all. No. Would you spell that one for me and for our listeners? Cause... Yeah, Aridia, A-R-Y-D-I-A is the magic term. Uh, got it. This one has a lot of bells and whistles. Characters have replaceable heads. You can pick your body and head type, all of which are pre-painted because who knows why. Isn't this one that has treasure chests, Curtis, that you're all excited Maybe. about? Maybe. It's got character customization, treasure chests. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about, Jason. <laughs> None of this yeah, totally. Me at all. Yeah, no, look at those cute little treasure chests. I know. Fascinating. And it's got some kind of event calendar pop-up stuff going on on the main board. A ton of map tiles. We don't have time for all these campaigns. I know, we I don't. Scheduled. We haven't even finished Artisans of Splendid Vale yet. We're close. Oh, wow. We have to be, right? Like, there's not many I spaces think for are. Mike to write crap on. <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> and then it's like, open envelope B. Oh, there's another page. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole other map. That would be amazing. It would be incredible. Yeah. You know what? I'd be okay with that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a good game. I'd play more. All right. Aridia. Nice. Yep. Jason, what do you got? Speaking of campaigns we don't have time for, <laughs> we've already done this one, but I'm going to go for it again. Oathsworn 2nd Edition. Specifically, because we'll be playing it with Curtis. Ah, This is uh, Shadowborn Games, designed by Jamie Jolly. We've talked about Oathsworn before. They came out with a new version, well, a new update to it. I went through the hour-long process of replacing Mm -hmm. all the cards and boards. As far as I can tell, it's just strictly harder now. (laughs) (laughs) Which, it wasn't the easiest game in the first place. But watching Curtis react to some of the crazy crap that happens in that game is what I'm most excited about. Oh, that's so good. I think I just and came like, in to you guys fighting one boss, and I was just like, this is fun for you guys? All I heard was cursing. Because <laughs> like, this is bullshit. Oh, God, I hate this. <laughs> all right. Sounds oh, like yeah. killing us. You have to understand it in context. <laughs> and, like, for myself, anyway, like, playing a different character, they play so differently. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see how the... I think I'm playing the Kerr this time. Really curious to see how he works, because I was a Blade last time, and the Blade was super fun. I'm just, like, they're so different. I like to see how the, as they change over time, as they unlock new cards, like, how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. And unlike, oh gosh, what's that game we're playing right now on Wednesdays? Kenfire. Kenfire? Kenfire Chronicles. Unlike Kenfire, Osworn included enough characters that four players could play through it again with different characters. Mm -hmm. Twice, actually. There were at least a dozen characters. Yeah, for sure. You guys got a full table of four on that one? Yeah. Yeah. All right, it's fine. Sorry, Brian. Don't worry, Brian. A lot of these new games have one to five players now, so... (laughs) Yeah, I know, but you guys are all, you know, you have your own little gaming colony over there. We love you. Yeah, sure. Stories, stories. I've heard it before. Although, sadly, Sandy decided she's, like, really tired of Osworn and will never play it again. Oh, so I'm probably going to end up selling my painted copy. Oh. Oh. Frank, how much do you want? (laughs) (laughs) Let's take this offline. Does that count as a point for Frank? No, No, that's just just cash money for Frank. That's just a transaction. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right. uh, Joe, we're back to you. Absolutely. Let me preface this by saying, I feel like the first point that happened on this podcast was given to Frank and was for Aeon's End, a (laughs) stunning board game, right? Mike and I both have many, many copies of it at this point. (laughs) And so my next one is Astronite's Eternity, which is by Indie Board and Card, Sidney Inglestein, Nick Little, and Will Sobel. It is the emotional sequel to Aeon's End. It's functionally Aeon's End in space with a, a couple of extra mechanics and functionally sci-fi Aeon's End. So I'm extremely excited for it. I mean, Aeon's End is real good. Mm-hmm. Zazu in it, though. <laughs> yes, of course Zazu's in it. Guaranteed. 
Oh, Zaxos. <laughs> cool guy, Zaxos. I am curious to see how they apply everything they've learned after umpteen million expansions to yeah. Aeon's End, because like one of my favorite parts of Aeon's End is the campaign play, and I wonder if they're going to be coming right out of the gate with that. I think it does. I think the initial thing just has it as part of the initial box. Sounds good. Mike? Well, we've already touched on my next one, which was Earthborn Rangers. Okay. The only thing I'll add to this is I wasn't sure if this was going to count when I added it to my list. And I thought like, oh, well, I probably won't play it till next year because it did, like Jason said, ship in December. Mm -hmm. So. No, I think that's cool. I mean, it, it's like if we're unlikely to get a game of it in this year, then then it'll count for next year. That's certainly what my list is based on. Hey, that's me. My next one is going to be The Queen's Dilemma Ooh. from Hjalmar Hawk, Lorenzo Silva, and Horrible Guild. I really like The King's Dilemma. The ending was a little bit disappointing, but the game as a whole was a lot of fun. Being miserable people and, and heads of, of horrible houses destroying each other and making terrible moral decisions for the sake of your personal goals was a tremendous amount of fun. Queen's Dilemma looks like more of the same with some additional stuff going on. You're not just going to be a house. There's like six specific characters that have kind of their own subplots going on. There's a balancing ideology system, and it keeps track of your actions. It looks like it's going to just be more responsive to player actions and decisions in general. The map changes as you go, so it looks like it's more of the same idea with a bunch of nifty new add-ons, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Yeah, I think the add-ons are all more long-term goals, because mm -hmm. you actually found in the original game that just sacrificing long-term goals for your short-term goals was usually better. Effective, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, and I think adding more long-term goals will actually make the campaign feel more campaign-y and... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think the original was kind of a terrible game from the mechanic standpoint. <laughs> there wasn't really almost a game there. It was just barely enough framework for the story. It's just the story experience was so good. Yeah. <laughs> you have to role play it. You can't just treat it as a mechanical exercise. Yeah. We literally just finished our campaign, I think, last month. The campaign took us from 2021 till November of 2023, <laughs> specifically because of friend of the podcast, Fear Tree. <laughs> Curtis's brother, Future. <laughs> but uh, we had a lot of fun with it. It was exactly what you're saying, Frank. Like, there's not much game mechanics there. There's enough for you to have a lot of fun role playing, and it was a blast. When Courtney supported uh, slavery as one of his choices, I was like, okay, <laughs> I think I remember going. you telling me that, Jason. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I just will always remember in the King's Dilemma. Of course, I'm supporting this weird foreign witch sacrificing our children. Shut up. I have my reasons. <laughs> okay, yeah, I got to yeah. play that. <laughs> Each player has their own little booklet where they fill their stickers and their stories. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, we fail to weaponize brain-eating wasps. I'm just, <laughs> I feel that that was the mark of our failure. That was the, the tipping point? Yeah. I guess my real question here is, do we play King's Dilemma and then go immediately into Queen's Dilemma? No. I wonder how closely related the two games are. From a story standpoint? I mean, it's in the same world. It's a hundred years after the original game. Wow. So when we clearly could. it's matriarchy. Right. The queen is like very young and we're the council that's trying to guide her as she grows up and comes into her power. So yeah, looking forward to it. Curtis, what do we got from you? All right, I got one because I thought it was up Mike's alley because I just saw this and I figured I would get it, but it's the Dark Quarter. Ooh, nice. Oh, I think Joe was mentioning this got one that before. One. Yep. Yeah, that's literally my next one, which is <laughs> designed by Evan Derrick and company Lucky Duck Games. That one may show up in a couple weeks. I'm hype for it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, everything y'all said about this game sounds great. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's Curtis's game. Let him tell us about it. <laughs> Cooperative app-driven adventure game set in a dark, fantastical version of 1980s New Orleans. Having played, what, um... Destinies? Yeah. yeah. Well, Destinies yeah. and also, what is it that we play all the time, Mike, that Joe hates? I forget. Arkham Horror? <laughs> there we go, yeah. I couldn't get that here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it looks like it's mired in Destiny's kind of gameplay, but full co-op this time, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. 
The setting is just so cool. Like, oh, yeah. 1980s New Orleans is just a cool setting. I can't wait to do so much coke. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'd be much more excited if it was 1890s New Orleans. Because the 1980s were... Some of y'all are too young to have properly experienced the 80s, but it was a time. <laughs> Frank, what's next for you? So, not a campaign game. Not a fantasy game. Is it based on a computer game? Yes. We <laughs> <laughs> have a through line. So we have Curtis's games that you picked this time. <laughs> this is Dead Cells, the Rogue. No! <laughs> really? He got me. Oh man. Yeah, this is created by Scorpion Mask, designed by all important Antoine Balza and Ludovic Malblanc, Theo Rivera, and Corentin Lebrat. It's a roguelike. I mean, really, it's 45 minutes, which I think is probably about the right time you want for a run. You are science fiction-y beheaded, who can pick up new heads, and you run through these places and you die. And each time you get slightly more powerful. I mean, classic roguelite. The video game is quite good, a heavy, hardcore platformer. But this, you know, this is by Antoine Bowser. And, you know, after the amazing Arceus from this year, I'm pretty much on board with whatever he does. He's real good. Frank, I'm going to be fascinated to see the differences and similarities between Slay the Spire and Dead Cells, because they are both trying to board gamify a roguelike computer game. Yeah. Now, granted, those computer games are quite different mechanically. But I'm curious to see which one is going to land the roguelike. Yeah, elements. and this is more abstracted because you're looking at 45 minutes for the entire run mm-hmm. and each room being just a space. So they're going for speed and cycles and probably putting more of the game in the roguelite aspects. Whereas Slay the Spire is really trying to emulate mm-hmm. the full game. And Slay the Spire, even as a game itself, takes, you know, sometimes an hour a run. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Interesting. Jason? I honestly can't believe I beat you to this one, Brian. Maybe it's not on your list. Maybe you just missed. But I'm looking forward to set a watch Forsaken Isles and Doomed Run. Ooh, that was actually not on my radar for this, but uh, good call. By Mike Nade, Todd Walsh, by Rock Manor Games. So this is a point that Brian earned long, long ago when he introduced me to set a watch and we got soundly trumped in our first game of it. Since then, I've bought every expansion for it, all the extras. Like, it's one of my favorite co-op games. It's just hard enough to be challenging without being super frustrating. And it's just a quality game. I love the mechanisms. And every time they've added a tiny little bit on each expansion, it hasn't been overwhelming and it hasn't really detracted from the game. Like, I think once they added a market on the most recent one that came out. So this new one, Forsaken Isles, is just a straight-up expansion with more characters, monsters, and locations. But Doomed Run is actually a campaign. So you're actually playing multiple games back-to-back, where you're going on side quests to unlock items for characters, you're unlocking new characters you can play as, and I think it's seven back-to-back ones that you play through, if I remember correctly, from the description. So I'm super curious to see what they do for that. Still all your same mechanics, right? You've got your dice rolling, your dice placement, your power activations, and then adding you know your gear and the market stuff to it. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be awesome. Sounds cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Set of Watch and the company in general, so I'm kind of surprised I missed this one myself. I would love to grab a game once you've got it. Yep, I think it's shipping in, like, I want to say March of next year, so hopefully not yep, too, too that's late. correct. All right, very cool. I also kicked it. I like this game series a lot. It just barely missed my list. Okay. I mean, I'll have to get it since I accidentally own that game. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally own that game? Yeah, remember I tried to buy you the expansion for, like, Christmas, your birthday, and they just sent me the base game. Oh, right. In right, right. addition like, to the oh, expansion. Like, ah, joy. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Cool. Joe, what is on your list if this one just missed it? Dark Quarter is the one that's next on my list. Okay. Well, we've already talked about that. It's the 80s New Orleans. So lots of neon and lots of cocaine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what they should, that should be the byline for the Lock, yeah. <laughs> Lock, Lock Neon Cocaine Monsters. Okay. <laughs> okay, so on to Mike then. So, Dead Cells, the roguelite board game was oh. on my list. 
All right. Very cool. I'm like I'm, I'm, everyone today. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in the number of duplicates. I was thinking some of mine might hit a duplicate, but that does not appear to have been the case. Honestly, I'm a little shocked that Dead Cells was on somebody else's list. Frank, you and I have a weird crossover of interests. So the next one on my list is Sleeping God's Distant Skies, Ooh. which is another one that has just arrived unexpectedly a trifle early. Yep, same here. <laughs> this is by Ryan Lauket from Red Raven Games. It is a sort of spiritual successor to and set in the same world as the original Sleeping Gods, which I was a big fan of, was and am a big fan of. So you're exploring this strange alternate universe that you and your friends have been cast into, trying to find these totems, which will convince the gods to let you go back to Earth. It is very open-ended. There's a lot of interesting new changes. They've tightened a lot of things up. You're only playing with five characters. The little command tokens that you were fiddling around with for everything have gone away. Each character has like a little deck of cards that they use during combat. But the whole original combat where all the monsters have spaces on them that you were attacking, which I really like, is continuing on in this game. There are also some boss enemies that you have to fight, which are basically pages in the map book rather than just cards. So they're huge and complicated to fight. There's only five characters instead of eight, which I think is going to be more manageable because I think this game is still going to be one that benefits from a lower player count rather than everybody taking one thing. All of Ryan Lockett's games have been getting better and better for me, so I'm really anxious to get this onto the table and see what happens next. And the original Sleeping Gods was totally amazing. So yeah. good, yeah, for sure. I mean, I like it conceptually, what? but I'm not going to lie. Like Every time we've sat down to play it, I don't know if it's just because we're not playing it frequently enough, but it just it never really lands the way I want it to. Well, maybe it's not for you, Mike. Or we just got to <laughs> play it more. I mean, I'm I, in favor I'm of that. Play more of it. I seem to recall in our last game that we played of it, we decided we were going to challenge the gods themselves. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't always have to go with the victory conditions the game starts with, which I really like. I'm down to play more. I have enjoyed all my experiences with this game thus far. All right, well, I've got the new one available, so we can play either one at the drop of a hat. You guys just let me know. Curtis, back to you. All right, well, this is kind of going off the rules a little bit, but this is based on some past experience, but anything new coming off for Kingdom Death Monster? Damn it, Curtis, <laughs> snipe me. Wow. I had to. I had to. Nailed it. That's just Nailed in it. my heart. I had to. <laughs> you guys spend way too much time together. The group think is a little terrifying. You think we're actually going to get the expansions this year? That's the big thing. Who cares? We've got the Gambler's Chest. It's a whole new campaign. Yeah, I've been I've been slowly gluing it together. <laughs> probably at my rate, we probably got another month or so. But maybe if I focus on a little more, I don't actually have anything to do today. So maybe I'll just go do gluing all day. I think I just need that palate cleanser after Titan, whatever. What is it called? And trespass. Remind me why I love Monster <laughs> Battlers again. <laughs> <Yeah>. Game. <laughs> oh. Teach me how to love again. It's great. I'm going to go downstairs later. Joe's just going to be on the couch, like an open bottle of glue spilt out <laughs> next to him. He's going to be passed out. Joe's going to be gluing hands on butts all day long. <laughs> this is, oh, God, what is he going <laughs> Get us a picture. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just kind of to build off of what Curtis said, since he stole mine anyway. <laughs> kind of the differences that they introduced to the Gambler's Chest, there's the People of Dreamkeeper campaign, which is basically a campaign to play through all the crazy new monsters they included as way too ambitious stretch goals <laughs> in the uh, mm -hmm. Gambler's Chest. They have Arc Survivors, which are survivors that develop philosophies, so they kind of take on different abilities based on philosophies they adopt. There's Encounter Monsters, like you can just run into the Bone Eaters on a hunt, which I feel like we're just going to have total party like, wipes. <laughs> yeah. You can send out scouts. You can choose to include that as an optional make the game harder rule where you can only get your gear back after losing all your party members if the scout collects it. I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah, that's a game that needs to be made hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we breezed through that one. Seed patterns, which is like just a way of making the items grid more interesting, right? So instead of just color affinities, there's some other stuff going on. Wanderers that wander into the settlement that could be good or bad. I'm like, uh, it's Kingdom Death. They're all oh bad. <laughs> and then you have, if you get survivors that last long enough, they become characters that they build statues to, and other people learn abilities from their example. I'm like, oh my god, I'm in. Yes, it's such a big game. It's so good. <laughs> 
All right. So, well, maybe some more will come out this year. Who knows? What is that how you give points, though? Is like if someone introduces you to a game? Because that's just... if you buy if it. If someone convinces you to oh. buy a game. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Jason got me. This is this is how he pretty much got me into board gaming, really. It's <laughs> through Kingdom Death Monster. So. That's the best way to introduce people oh, to board yeah. games. Here's Kingdom Death Monster. Let's go. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Because if you introduce them to that first, they will never have money to buy any other board games. Very true. Curtis just sits down at the table. He's like, I hope this doesn't awaken anything. <laughs> Listen, there are a lot of things that Kingdom Death Monster could awaken in people, and I don't want to talk about them on the podcast. <laughs> Jason, is this it hands? This is a resource? And butts. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay, and now I think we're on to our last one. God, you guys have been so good on time. I'm very proud of you. This is our fastest episode. Having all the duplicates helps. (laughs) That's true. Overlap has helped a lot. (laughs) Exactly. Good point. Frank, what do you have left for us? See how many points we can steal now. (laughs) I'm actually starting on a game purchasing diet. Sandy now has to approve. I've heard this story before, Frank. <laughs> but no, sa- no, it's gotten tighter. Sandy has to approve all game purchases mm. that aren't just bought with Amazon credit or something, which okay. admittedly I get a ton of, so that becomes easy. But um, this one, I showed her a picture of the Kickstarter going, please. And she went, oh my God, is that Magic Realm? Yes. Okay, oh, you can buy it. <laughs> and this would be Dragons Down, published by Mr. B Games, designed by Scott Demers. And yeah, it's Magic Realm. The guy spent a decade looking at Magic Realm. He's an avid fan of Magic Realm. And he stripped it down, reduced the complexity, reduced the time amount to play, and in general, kept a surprising amount of it. I've looked through the rules. Some of the monster noise is reined in with a different system for monsters attacking you locally, but it's Magic Realm. And he's really done it. And it's being done in a great production. So for our listeners and perhaps some of our fellow podcasters who are too young to remember Magic Realm, you're going to want to look that up on Board Game Geek because it was at the height of the Avalon Hill. Here's 8 million pieces of cardboard and tiny chits and perforated cards. There were like 16 different characters, all of whom could play at once if you had that many players, exploring this hex-based fantasy realm where you could use magic to flip the tiles over. And there were monsters and treasures and everybody had different goals. It is an insane sort of simulationist fantasy adventure crawl. And it's a game that I conceptually like, but I don't know. I don't think I could play it again. Humans can't play it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just chat, yeah, posted totally. in the chat here a picture of some of the tokens from the original one. So. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of conveys some of what you're talking about. Although, yeah, the original rules come in seven different steps of learning the game. Steps one and two are easy. Step three is just brutal. That oh my god, combat. what is going on on this now, board? To be fair, to be fair, this looks like a reprint or a fan remake because that's not the original art. Oh, it's not. But still, the premise is sound. Dragons Down is definitely a Magic Realm remake. But the picture you posted, is that like... I mean, that is that is the kind of content you get, yes. But, like, is that... This, uh, this makes sense somehow. Like, this is... I mean, for certain values of making sense. Yeah, it's not designed for humans. Weren't you listening, Curtis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's for thinking computers. Mm. I just put another one in the chat here because this is the monster and treasure setup card. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on in this game. So I didn't pull the trigger on Dragon Down, but what I have to no, I mean, like what? I said, I'm I don't what? have that strong a nostalgia kick for Magic Realm, but I will happily play it once you get it, and you may wind up getting a retroactive point later, but you know. It was an amazing simulationist thing that is just too much. This may make it better. But does it track the water rations you need to use for boiling pasta? <laughs> You do need pasta points. It's so important. <laughs> oh, good lord. <laughs> Jason, save us. I can't. Curtis stole mine. Kingdom Death Monster. Oh. <laughs> More Kingdom Death Monster. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Joe? I feel like everybody just needs me to start gluing pieces together. So hey, it sounds like it. doing it right now? I'm, like, yeah, I'm off the pot. See you guys. <laughs> Get those hands. No, it's quiet. You can do it while you're talking. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So my number one is Mythwind, designed by Nathan Liege and Brendan McCaskill. 
uh, and by OMM. And it is a cooperative, one to four player, totally asymmetrical, shared experience. You're all in a whimsical fantasy world, right? You're pioneers of a new community, right? So, you know, you'll have one person who runs the forge and forges stuff for everybody else and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty excited for it. Everybody plays a bunch of roles and does a bunch of cool shit. So this is fascinating because the different character roles are also using different mechanics. So one person's playing a deck builder and one person's playing like action or worker placement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that's weird. I mean... I'm cautiously optimistic, but it's... Yeah, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> the I've, attempt is worth supporting. I would have got my copy this year, but it got delayed to the Panama Canal for U.S. shipping. Mm. So it'll be U.S. shipping in a couple of weeks, so I'm pretty excited to try it out when it gets here. Yeah, same here. He kind of broke the internet where he said, basically, there's no real objective. There's no winning. I mean, no, just find end of game. Period. Mm-hmm. Oh. What do you mean I can't win this board game? I'll show you that I can't win this board game. <laughs> yeah. You win by playing. Cut the mic That's with it. a giant beard hunched <laughs> over the table. No, I'm going to find a way. <laughs> it took me 20 years, but I did it. Strange game. The only way to win is not to play. Mm. No, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's quitter speak. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Fascinating. Mike, what do you got? I got a game that nobody else said. Ooh. It's Title Blades 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rise of the Machines. Unfolders. There we go. Didn't okay. <laughs> this is a game designed by Tim Eisner and Ben Eisner and is produced by Druid City Games, which is their own company. This is a cute little campaign game that is set in a world that is of their own creating, which is water world, but everybody is fish people. <laughs> and also humans are there for some reason. Because <laughs> so everybody's fish people except the humans. You have to have humans. I disagree, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, but yet there they are. Some sort of relatability, I don't know. Anyway, what I'm excited about this game is they take the map books that were in the Gloomhaven uh, War of the Lion and use that for their maps. So there's very little like map setup. You just flip pages. And when you are doing your card selection, you're actually picking a tile with an ability. And then once you have all chosen, you plug those tiles into your own personal three by three grid and then activate a column or row. If you activate a row or a column that has three tiles in it, you then remove those tiles and replace them with a negative tile to represent exhaustion. So you're kind of doing this little like engine building thing, but trying to get through a fight with it. So it looked unique and interesting. Yeah, that sounds curious. It's a new mechanism. Yeah, and then like each character has their own like personal goals throughout the campaign. Like it just looks really pretty. It hits on all the cylinders that uh I really like to play with. So okay. Can we just as a culture just decide to stop putting the word rise in the title of anything, please? I'm so tired of <laughs> Rise of the Unfolders. Is it with a Y, Jason? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I'm a Z. My, it needs a Z. In my head <laughs> it is. My head can't so, guess. I will say, I've talked about this one before. It is a game in which I chose to kickstart, but not kickstart the miniatures. What? You're dead to me, Heathen. One thing that really drew me to this was the artwork. And like because the artwork is very pastel and almost has like a watercolor motif to it, I was like, I don't know how this is going to translate very well into a 3D space. So I stuck with the standees. Okay. But they're the nice acrylic ones, so, you know. Oh, okay. That's uh, exactly. uh, I do like oh, yeah. I'll take acrylic yeah. ones over. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. I don't think they are. Well, then. I wish they were. Then Mike's a monster. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. The worst. So the last one on the list for me is a sequel to a game that I think I'm the only one here that liked, which is fine. I'll play this one by myself if I have to. Although I think it's actually fixed a lot of the things that some of you guys didn't like. And that is The 7th Citadel oh, from yeah. Ludovic Rudi, Bruno Sauter, and Sirius Pulp. This is a sequel to The 7th Continent, which I think was really good as an exploratory one or two player game, but kind of fell apart with more than that. Yeah, the limiting of cards at more player levels made it not fun. Yeah. 
So the Seventh Citadel has a lot of the same concepts going on, but it's definitely more campaigny and things change as you're going on. There's a base building element. You're kind of exploring this whole map, but it's a more permanent map that you're exploring, although you're certainly individual dungeons or sites or things that you're exploring are done with cards, but there's like a world map and this huge sort of tech tree of things that you can build and expand upon as you go. It's in theory leaving the factory this upcoming week, so it may arrive, it could conceivably arrive before the end of the year, but almost certainly January or February. I'm just really interested to see what they've done with it, because I like the way the card system works. And as you've seen with Sleeping Gods, I like exploring big world maps and seeing what cool stuff is out there. So this is right up my alley, and maybe you guys will like it, and maybe I'll play it by myself. I back this one too, so I'm definitely okay. down for playing it, Brian. I'm so curious to see what lessons they learned from Seventh Continent, because I did enjoy Seventh Continent. I think mm -hmm. the biggest problem they suffered is that they didn't have a variety of length of yeah scenarios. it's like the shortest one is three hours yeah it's, yeah, it's just it's you know. too much it's, yeah that's a lot to ask for a short for one. sure yeah for, for the so, shortest one <laughs> did we yeah. jason we played that one didn't we or, or we not? did yeah that i think you were the one who spotted the little uh i think there's like a little crab that had a little number printed oh, yeah. or something that's when you yeah. gave me the magnifying glass you were like look for something like, oh <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep that's the one <laughs> and they are doing that in this game too so uh -huh. it's gonna be a whole thing <laughs> Yeah, I'm so curious to see. I hope they've learned some lessons because there's definitely some things they could make the game more approachable. And the expansion of like the mechanics to kind of the more campaign-y sort of thing you're talking about, Brian, I think is going to mm -hmm. be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. And then Curtis, finish us off. Take us home. That's what I haven't backed. I wanted to back it, but I don't think I was uh, able to at the time. But it's Earth Under Siege Flashpoint. I've never even heard of this one. The designer is Steve Kozlowski. <laughs> And sure. We're sorry. I'll buy that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Steve. <laughs> and the publisher is Dark Horizon Games. It's a one to four player co-op sci-fi dungeon crawler where players compete covert missions against an invading alien force bent on subjugating the entire Earth. Okay. Well, that sounds bad. Sounds I like live you on Earth. Shoot a bunch of aliens. Yeah, this is where all my stuff is. But I think it's like you go on missions and like it's almost like Reichbusters. Oh, Wreckbusters, yeah, sure. Everything's fine, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden everything is not fine, so. <laughs> it almost gives me a little bit of a Deep Madness vibe, which was a big horror expansion Kickstarter that I backed and then never really got into. The miniatures, of course, look extremely pretty. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how this goes, because there's a lot of stuff here. Well, thanks to the hefty use of cattle prods, I think we got through that in pretty good a Single time. episode? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're still Very excited. Thanks for our similar tastes. <laughs> I mean, we already knew that Jason and Frank share a brain in many ways, and now that Curtis is in, that'll come back things a lot. Yeah, I need to get more points from Jason and Curtis. You should, <laughs> you should trust me. Based on this, you definitely will. <laughs> I hope Steve doesn't count. Because. <laughs> Curtis has children, Frank. You really can't do this to him. Like, oh, just, right, just, right. They don't have to go to college. It's okay. <laughs> Daddy, what's for dinner tonight? We're Four eating Four kingdom dead. together. Cardboard sprue. <laughs> drink your glue. Don't drink glue. Safety warning. You don't paste instead. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to mention one other game that isn't really on my list because I'm not sure how much I like it, but I'm fascinated to see what it is, which is a game called Civilution. I thought about putting that. Yeah, it's a yeah. Stefan Feld. It's a very Euro sort of Civ builder with like multiple different tech trees and things going on. It's like, this is either a game I could really get into or will absolutely despise. So yeah, it could go either way. I could yeah. tell. I end up backing Molly House, which I think is going to be fascinating. I don't know if it'll be good, but it's going to be fascinating. I have heard so much about that game. It looks okay. Oh, well, thanks for that, Frank. The setting, I think, is really going to hit with our group. And so. that's from uh, that's from Cole Worley, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Is it a coin game? He's not the designer. He's, he's, a, the he's publisher. a publisher. He's a publisher. Yep. Oh, okay. But it kind of falls into the same bucket as John Company where <laughs> the game is both a gaming experience and a commentary on history at the same time, which is why he's publishing, because like, it's like John Company, you're all playing... The East India Company. East India <laughs> Company. And by the end of it, you all feel like horrible people because you have to be horrible people to win the game. 
and it is both a statement on the indie company had a bunch of horrible people and then you become those people while playing the game right and it's not nearly as fun as the king's dilemma because this is all in the real world and this is shit that they actually did yeah it's it's real gross right like you're supposed to feel gross by the end of it right mm-hmm well, you're not supposed to feel growth, but it has the same like historical taking a piece of historical time and kind of like putting a microscope over it, which is really exciting. So, yeah, the other one that that reminds me of from a games as commentary standpoint, there is a game that I think has just come out called Doubt is Our Product. Oh, yeah. Which is oh, a two player yeah. game where one person is playing the tobacco industry and the other is playing like people who are trying to get cigarettes banned or limited in some ways. There's an amazing designer commentary from the designer on Board Game Geek. And, you know, just the commitment to it. This That's another game that I think might be really interesting to play, but would also leave at least one player feeling really icky afterwards. I mean, here's how this is going to go. All right, Brian, you and I sit down. Mm-hmm. You're playing against. I'm playing for. Cool. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. Mike stares at you just says, smoke. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get everything set up. I look down at my cards, and it's like, push cigarettes on kids. Yes. You I know, am morally incapable about, of playing this game. <laughs> right. Like, lie about harmed human beings. And I'm just like, I resign. Yeah. Cole Worley is looking at redoing an infamous traffic, which was one of his first games about the opium trade in 19th century China. So, yeah, we're going to get another one. And on that note, (laughs) I think we're about ready to wrap up. So, again, Happy New Year's, everybody. Thanks for listening. Welcome aboard to Curtis again. We will probably find a regular topic of game mechanic or design or theme to talk about next month. But in the meantime, everybody have a good time, stay safe, play games, and we will talk to you next month. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening.